Welcome to the Dad Bod Pod. It is your host, Jamie Schleicher. As my guest today, I have the one, the only, Rev Seth, sometimes tri-host. Great to have you back on the pod. It's so good to be here. I have all the feels right now. I feel I have so much sense memory associated uh, with last year, positive sense memory that I can't help but be transported to Charlottesville around a farm table or a Matt and Jamie's kitchen. Speaking of, where is the co-host? Of the, you can't have a tri-host without a co-host. <laughs> the co-host, conspicuously absent. And this is actually episode four. So we had we had episode three, special anonymous guest, Patreon-only content, a pod for the, the Patreon subscribers. Stimulating. So if you're on Anchor or iTunes, just look at the Dad Bod Pod, see that support option, hit us up, and you too <laughs> can have Patreon content. <laughs> but that was a special one. But here we are on episode four. My co-host, Matt McNichol, the one and only, continuing his holdout. And it's it's pretty noticeable at this point in time. Contract it's, dispute. He's gone past Melvin Gordon now. Yeah, Zeke is back. Melvin Gordon is back. We still have no Matt. We are through the quarter turn of the season. We're getting close to the halfway point. And everybody's still on Matt Watch. So he will he come? Uh, he didn't get that franchise tag last year, so he went out looking for a nameless wife, I guess. Yeah, you know, it's it's a tricky situation <laughs> because if you follow podcast Twitter, you will see a lot of hot takes that co-hosts don't matter. People Ooh. will say this all the time. You pay Ira Glass, right? Wow. You, you pay for that, but, you know, does he need a co-host? Does, does a second voice actually add to the content of what people want? Or is it good enough with just Ira? And a lot of people just just go with one. Um, but, you know, I completely support my co-host in his battle to, to be paid what he's worth. He puts his voice on the line for every one of these episodes and deserves to be, deserves to be compensated fairly. So I support him in that. When he's back, he's back. I know he's been training in the off-season. He's been preparing. He's ready to jump in and make a make a run down the stretch. But he's also first place. Maybe you know he's blowing people out of the water, all close to a two hundred point week, and uh, maybe he's like saying the proletariat. I don't need him anymore. You know, like he went from high school straight to the pros. And that's also a good point because since I became a podcast host, my my win loss record has plummeted. So. Maybe I'm potting too much and not paying enough attention to the game. And Matt has gotten back on track and is dialed in. He's focused on what really matters. Yeah. I, you know, I, I hear the causes and correlation possible in your podcasting time versus record. Cause you've had previous years where you were top of the heap, but statistically, and this is where we're going to need Caleb. I think you talked about last year, Roster moves do not a team a winner or loser make essentially, and mm-hmm. and Matt true to form is not only in first place in roster moves after week uh, five, uh, but it's not even close. What I'm a little surprised by, since this episode is about me, not him, is is um, 
As is every episode. Every episode in one way or another is about you, Seth. (laughs) But I'm a little surprised that I am in second place in roster moves, which is also my usual bailiwick, right? But I don't feel like I've been making those moves. I don't know if this is because I'm streaming kickers and defenses that much more. Um, But I was surprised to see myself up there, uh, though Zach is quick on the heels, as is most of the bottom six. Uh, That's where actually all the double-digit roster moves make. So I'm not the statistician you guys are, but it does seem, with the exception of this map aberration, aberration, uh, leaving the team alone, you know, might be the way to go. I I had an A draft. I had an A draft. That A draft. It actually statistically means nothing, I think, according to Caleb, right? That I believe that was the, the consensus after his pod is that the grade is nice, but not really indicative of end of season outcome. Mm-hmm. Well, here we are. We miss you, Matt. Or whoever it is sending us all those trades. That is 100% Matt McNichol. <laughs> Always in uh, you know um my favorite sorry, not to oh, go for it not to be the dead co-host um but uh that Matthew Barry article well I guess it was his love hate column for the week five that the commissioner sent out I read like kind of the rules of the trade and it did seem like one massive Maddie McNichol subtweet um and I say that with all love because I learned some tips in there and I disagreed with parts of it even. So I'm I'm willing to own my own things that I don't get right, but yeah, I think someone uh, reported him to Matthew Barry. <laughs> it's I think everybody had him in the back of their mind as they were reading that article, and I don't know. Right, but did Matthew Barry also <laughs> have him in the back of his mind? Is he a uh, Dad Bod Pod listener? He he takes a lot of content from Twitter, so maybe someone hit him up in the DMs and said. Slid in there. There's this guy in my league, Matt McNichol. Please, please, please teach him about trade etiquette. Yeah. And Matt, I as you saw in the uh group me uh that I accidentally sent to the whole group me, you know I love you. I'm just throwing shit to try to get you back on the pod. Um because I have nothing substantive to say. Where were we? I, I reject that. Hopefully Zach edits edits that <laughs> apology out. I'm not here for it. <laughs> Surefire nope now. But I did love that, that you, you just hit the group me with six or seven messages in a row. And then... That's what happens when you have uh, too many tabs open and are listening to the dad by pod as I was. Um, the LOL was when I realized that that wasn't uh, me laughing at myself privately to you. (laughs) The last message right before that was just to stir the pot. (laughs) Just (laughs) causing conflict. And that's why you're a great podcast guest. That's why. Yeah, no one one eats his own tail better than me. And and here we've just done it. We are talking about group me about the pod on the pod about group. And this is, this is what the league needs. I don't know if you've listened to the previous pods or not, because I'm pretty sure at one point last year, you were on the record as saying the pod is better than sex. So I'm just assuming that you're listening to all this pod content. 
Bold claims. I don't remember That's, saying that at all. Well, you did. You said that. And I don't know if I disagree, but I, I'm just saying I don't you remember. You don't remember your bold claim. You don't remember if you agree with it or not. But as we've talked about. That's why we're here. As, reboot, yeah, as we've talked about in previous episodes, some of us, myself, are trying to reach the same heights that we reached last year. And I think it's attainable. I think it's going to happen. Um, yeah. But what what are your thoughts on whether or not we should try to get back to that level of tail eating that we were at last year. Oof. Um, and you have 30, 30 seconds so, to answer this question. All right. Yeah, no. Um, self-censored here on out. Uh, I think my answer would be like, what I like about this kind of reboot um, theme and posture is that, yeah, things got weird. Things got a bit hinky. People thought there was passive aggression where there wasn't, there was passive aggression and maybe it was intentional, like who, whatever. But at the end of the day, like what we all kind of were able to decompress and then maybe detox is like the how and why of fantasy football in our lives. So for me, it's just a lot of fun and I love the engagement and connection. So I think the fact, and this has been said in previous episodes that we're still here, um, you know, apologies have been rendered, whether people felt like they might've even needed them or not. And, and that's growth. It's a great boost for the league. And that was longer than 30 seconds. Um, so maybe we reorient what we mean by flying high, but what we've realized about ourselves is that like, we're closer, we're able to communicate these things and still show up. And that's the, you know, inverse of toxic, Toxicity, toxic masculinity, whatever led to it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with all that. And on our Patreon episode last week, we got to hear from someone who has frankly just had a wild, unbelievable mm. year so far. I was blown away and devastated. And got, and yeah, got to just talk about how this league, how this community and fantasy football as an escape – can be a bright point in a dark time. And mm-hmm. I I definitely think that that's something that we can continue to be for each other. Um, and I would, not that we're ranking this, but um, you have also seen some difficult times here recently. We dedicated the first pod to you in, oh, in one yeah. situation, and then you've had a couple hard ones after that. Um, but would you mind giving giving us a little update on kind of where you're at, what what's going on, and how how we can be a community without you know dwelling in in the same city right now? Oh, thank you for that. Um, it is true. I, I had forgotten that I, someone was cutting onions near me when at the end of that first podcast episode because. Um, that was really meaningful to me. And, and that kind of gets at this question we have in our polls and articles we've written and, and more about what this means to us and whether that's a good or a bad or an in-between thing. But we'll get back to that later. But I think, uh, yeah, to answer your question, um, I live in Arizona now, which is pretty surreal. It's a weird mix of surreal because this place is having grown up on the East Coast, unlike anything I've ever uh, 
lived in as a permanent home. I've lived in California. I've lived in Texas for several years. Uh, but the desert here is very different from even those places. Um, and so what's been really good soul food and brain breath has been just driving to work, even if it's on like kind of a corporatized drag, feels like a vacation because we've got the cacti and the palm trees and the mountains in every direction. And the air is crisp and dry and um, so on. But at the same time, the reasons we moved out of here were pretty heavy. Um, number one, I have in-laws who live out here and there was cancer in the family. Um, number two, this is just kind of a good health region for some of my nameless uh, family members. And number three, after the past few years in Charlottesville, um, as many folks know, uh, there was not many opportunities that fit my um, skill set and experience. Those have mostly come in uh, churches, um, and but especially large NGOs. And, um, and but there is also, and from everything I've been associated with the past couple of years um, regarding white supremacy, uh, it was hard to find space and boundaries. And so, for many intersecting reasons, we moved to Tucson. And that's been really breathable, but then it got really hard uh, pretty quick because I got a new job. Oh, this is Seth Lisboy. I am the new interim pastor of Rincon Congregational United Church of Christ, 10 a.m. services every Sunday, sermons online, uh, almost as good as the Dad Bod Pod. I'm totally um, expecting you to identify yourself at least four or five more times on this podcast. Uh-huh. This is Seth, by the way. Um, have I already done it? So, but what's interesting is that stuff and that work, I'm, I'm still involved in, um, I mean, this is public information, uh, litigation against those white supremacists who intentionally brought violence to Charlottesville. Um, and that case won't happen until mid later 2020. So anyway, taking on that church and, and doing some of what I do comes with like, things that um, re-raise some of what made the past few years very hard uh, while we're trying to heal, even though we'll continue to be invested in different justice efforts, including at that church. Um, and then my, I, I did have a, an in-law uh, die sooner than later, and, and also my dog. So September was a month of grieving and recalibration, even as we are kind of setting up in this wonderful place that everyone in the league is welcome to and very much passionately invited to visit. And anyone who does come out to Tucson, especially during the football season, you're not invited after that. (laughs) Um, I will buy our tickets to a Cardinals game, Um, especially been looking at middle of December, Granted, it's Advent, but they're playing the Browns in the afternoon, so there'd be time to get to Phoenix. That was our uh, commercial break. I also heard an offer of uh, watching the Suns and Ty Jerome play at some point in time. Is that, is that still oh, on yeah, the table? Oh, no, yeah, that's great. I take, uh, yeah, that's definitely on the table. I'm excited about that. Uh, life feels pretty possible and wide open out here. And, uh, those tickets are affordable for both those franchises. <laughs> Get them, get them all you can. The, yeah, see, Ky, say that you can saw Kyler Murray back win rookie season. Four people, yeah, exactly. 
before he was a five-time Super Bowl winner. And then in addition to the family members, you also had your dog, Frodo. Yeah, my manest man. Uh, for the Instagram subscribers, um, I can talk about this. You know, we've known for a while that his days would be much shorter than they'd be longer. And, you know, death comes to us all. And But pets really uh, bless us in a lot of ways. They choose us and the data is in. Um, and so this was my first dog ever. Uh, so yeah, there's a, I haven't gotten to fully process it, but I have given my space, uh, myself space to grieve, um, the fact, I mean, cause it feels like a phantom limb now. Uh, so folks have gone through that will know they give us, uh, this is probably the second time I'm saying this, this is Seth Whispleway and dogs give us spirit, soul food and brain breath. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, it's, it's been in a way it's weird because there, I vacillate between really missing the now friends and community in Charlottesville, but then also going through these difficult times. Um, but then also, uh, really glad they're happening while in Tucson, if that makes sense. So it's a, that's why the invite is so wide open, but this is a very retreat space, even though we're obviously on the front lines of a lot being an hour from the border uh, and more. Um, and in that sense, this might surprise listeners. Uh, there was some really fun conjecture on Patreon episode three, uh, but on Matt's uh, ethics poll about why and whether we enjoy the NFL or not, uh, my vote, I, I, I thought about it a bit, but was actually the not really vote, meaning like I don't. How was the question phrased again? Oh man, now you're checking to see if I did my research before this this episode. And <laughs> Here, hold on, uh, let me pull up past. I'm that polls. kid that got called on in class and does not know the answer. You know, one of my closest friends. Um, while I'm looking up the poll, I'll tell this anecdote. One of my closest friends, his dad, um, for some reason, was assigned Moby Dick, which is like the American Bible, but it's like how many hundreds of pages long and really dense. It's one of my favorite books. But um, it, it was assigned that in the seventh or eighth grade or something like that. And um, had to turn in a paper on it, like a report. And the teacher knew what was up right from the title because uh, my friend's dad titled the, the paper, Moby Dick was a good man. <laughs> and <laughs> we find that so funny that my friend, who's a poet, uh, ended up writing like a poem that brings me to tears, actually. The poem's titled Moby Dick was a good man. But and here's the kicker. It, it's, it's very much about fathers and fatherhood and relationship and whether we know the people who are kind of closest to our lives, but also can feel the most distant. Um, so we laugh at that, but it also like, he turned it into this like really beautiful thing that I think is probably appropriate pod content for dad bods, because I want to get back to the ethics poll, but now as I'm talking, I told you this would happen. Um, I'm thinking of Matt's other poll, which he also never explained. That's what's funny. Matt puts out these really provocative polls and then is like, yeah, does not follow up at all with um, conversation. Maybe that's why he's hiding from the, the pod, but he had this one, like, do you and your father say, I love you to each other. 
and everyone who voted, which seemed, which was a super majority, I believe of the league quorum, um, it was either hundred percent. Yes. Meaning like you say it to each other, hundred percent. No, there was no, like I say it to my father, vice versa. And, um, where I was going with that is, Oh, research about the league. Do you want to say anything about the love poll though? Um, I just want to say that conceptually that poem your friend wrote has me near tears. I haven't even read the poem, but just you explaining the backstory and the concept, it has me. I'm hooked. So maybe I'll, uh, maybe we can, if this is maybe if this is Patreon, cause he is trying to get a lot of his stuff published. Um, I could read it to close. Up I, I would love that. I'm going to look it up because he did share it with me because it, it means a lot. And the idea um, of you, oh, the idea is. of you hitting us with that poem and then me telling people to fall in a well is just beautiful. <laughs> uh, fall in a well of your own tears. Here's one. One or more ethical issues surrounding the NFL caused me to wonder whether I should participate in football to the extent that I do. So that's a, there's a lot of um, fluidity to that question. One or more caused me to wonder the extent that I do. So each person's going to have their own thing. And yes, definitely. And not really tied for first. Well, I'm, I'm excited to get our professional ethicist in here to talk about the construction of the question, his thoughts on the question, his answer to the question. Um, so just teasing the ethics pod with our commissioner, Travis Piquel, who I'm excited to have here on, on season two, but I think, I think being an Antifa street preacher makes me a professional. Yeah, no, I mean, we got the, the first look at it with an entrepreneurial view last week. If you could bring the pastoral view, this is, this is all just great, (laughs) great setup. Well, I, this is great setup. Thank you. Uh, invisible co-host. Um, so there was yes, definitely. Yes. A bit. Absolutely not. Not really. Yes, definitely. Not really. Both had three votes and were tied for first. And then there was this weird fifth option that was like a whole paragraph. The NFL is deeply flawed, but it doesn't cause me to question my enjoyment or participation as a fan. That to me actually is a really verbose way or logaric way of saying yes a bit or not really. Um, I also think Matt is the one who voted for that because uh, it's really specific. So we spent about <laughs> 10 minutes diagnosing, sleuthing, getting to the bottom. Yeah, I don't want to rehash of that one <laughs> on the Patreon episode. So once again, find that support button, subscribe, support the show. You too can get the Patreon content. But me and mystery guest broke that one down. And my point was, yes, I don't think anybody else even read that question or read that answer. It was yeah. so long. And therefore, I, I, I also believe it was Matt. That Yeah, it's one of those he who smelt it, dealt it kind of thing. And that is a, a much more beautiful way of condensing my rambling there to... Yeah. And deductive reasoning. Um, it, believe me, you're not the one rambling. It was just a he who smelt it dealt it situation. Um, so I voted not really, actually. 
Um, but obviously same. it's contextual. And you I know, was, it's really funny looking at the these um, answers. They they say F, uh, rest in peace, F that podcast until a, a later time when I resurrect it. Um, because for me, as I think a lot of folks, and was spoken about in the Patreon episode, I'm on the record, like in a national news magazine, about the ethical issues I I take with the NFL, um, but don't necessarily pin on the NFL. I just say this is a representative body, a uh, massive cultural institution that's representative of a deeper uh, spiritualities in the country in which we all reside and participate in. Um, so I've done that work internally, so I'm not wondering whether I should participate to the extent that I do, because in that same article, I do say we're all going to live in the gray in some way. And I agree with the previous guests take that this is, and, and also I say this in the article, this is a massive cultural institution. And so that it pays to be, I mean, it, it, it's, it's worth it to be fluent in it. And it's also valuable to enjoy things. And, but also like, as long as we're being sober and realistic about what it is, that's fine. It's that kind of uncritical gaze or the one that reinforces uh, the prominent and dominant spiritualities that um, make it problematic. So, so it's, it's a both and, you know, sports are good. Individuals enjoying sports is good, uh, but let's name and claim things for what they are. And so, uh, of course, Colin Kaepernick, for example, is kneeling um, not as a statement on the value of human lives uh, in a country with ostensibly free speech and so on. So I got, well, I'll I'll say a lot more about that later. whether I should participate in football, the extent that I do, the extent that I do is playing fantasy football and enjoying the camaraderie with y'all and talking about these things. So that's actually an Ouroboros I think is uh, really valuable to all of this um, because it, it goes hand in hand with why'd we continue after kind of a season that quote unquote flew close to the sun. Um, you know, in my analysis, uh, were white men chewing this fat and in a country that's designed explicitly to privilege us and therefore represents that in the body of the NFL. Uh, this is a valuable enterprise. Therefore, I voted not really. Matt, come back on the pod. Why are you sending us all these things? Next thing you're going to ask is whether you should propose or not. Boom. Whoa. <laughs> I'm just I saying. I came here to throw shit. I did not see that (laughs) ending coming, and I loved it. I just caught myself monologuing. Is he going to ask us that on a pod? One that we're tri-hosting? Let's just say say Matt sends a lot of trades and a a lot of other communications. Oh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He hasn't asked me that uh, if this ends up being non-Patreon content. Oh, yeah. This Uh, one's for everyone. I might have just stuck my foot in my mouth big time, so... But maybe I also uh, kickstarted a revolution. Who knows? And Who you knows? may be responsible for Matt's marriage one day. That that could happen. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people are listening to these uh, beyond our league. I think we've established Oh, yeah, at that. least three or four. At least. And we haven't even talked about fantasy football we'll get, yet. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Probably in the next 10 minutes.
And uh, of the tri hosts, two are wedding officiants. So, and that's a. I mean, we've already dug this hole. Jump in, yeah, buddy. That's, that's... <laughs> Zach, edit this out. Boom. <laughs> Zach's not touching that part. I can tell. I know. I just. I, just I know his it. every. I know his every move <laughs> at this point. We are one when we come to the creation of these episodes. Um. But to bring bring it back, I'll bring it back. I'm I'll be in charge of bringing it back today and reining you in. Uh, two things. One, I was really glad that you resurfaced that article. I think at least half the league reread it, um, and I'd kind of forgotten that you'd even written that article, and was freshly challenged again. And always enjoy your perspective on it. Um, so I I really enjoyed not only reading the article again, but also the discussion that came from it. And then two, kind of taking it back a step, just thinking of any field really and the meaningful critics in those fields are the ones that are coming at it from a place of, I love this form, whatever it may be. I think there's a lot of good in it. And therefore it's something that is worth thinking critically about and questioning and making sure that it's the best that it can be because it does matter and good can come from it. And I want the best for this thing. And I think a, a lot of times the temptation is not to criticize when we have that feeling of this is a good thing and we want to protect it. We want to wrap it up. We don't want to expose any of those weaknesses or flaws and, for you to take that position of these are all the serious issues that are demonstrated in the NFL and still say, this is something that's worth redeeming that has massive Mm -hmm. cultural value can connect and unify people and is something that I still participate in, but I want to see these changes. I think that's the most meaningful type of criticism. Dude, I stop the pod now. You said it beautifully. Um, everything else is just bonus Patreon content going from here on out where we unpack what you just said. Um, I thank you for that setup because I'm passionate about it. And as you mentioned, like as a pastor, um, but as I often preach um, and believe you know, my, I I believe as my friend David Dark says, and I say this in that article, like life's too short to pretend that we're not religious. I mean, we're all religious in different ways, meaning we are a meaning making species. We were created to belong to one another. Uh, We were created to gather. Um, And so I certainly agree with those who say that like when we're gathering and enjoying ourselves, that is a good, but it obviously happens. We need a a historical power analysis, we need to step back and understand that the world didn't start yesterday. And that um, if we say that this God who created us to enjoy life uh, abundantly created us to um, be what God wants for us most and all is to be integral, to be integrated, to for our insides to match our outsides, which is why um, I have no time for different theologies, um, whether they're hierarchical a denominational or evangelical that separate the soul and the body, like our yearnings and our bodies are good. If we uh, name that we're all made in that image of God, where this connects to what you were saying is that like, at the same time we live in the world we live in, we've inherited it. 
And we have to locate ourselves within that in a way that isn't just individual, but collective. As James Baldwin said, who is a gay black man, a civil rights advocate, activist in the 60s, I love America more than any other country in the world. And exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. And so bringing it back to football, what Colin Kaepernick was doing um, is using his, I mean, he was a player in the NFL. He loves the NFL. He wants to play in the NFL, right? He's not canceling, you know, the NFL. That's not a passive aggressive subtweet. I've been in touch. This is a live conversation within the league. Let me just say that. Um, he's saying, because I love you, he consulted with a Green Beret about his action. And the Green Beret is the one who suggested the kneeling. But he's saying, you know, who's really canceled in our society, and this has been the case since day one and before, is uh, young men of color, especially black men. Um, we ostensibly have these values of equal treatment under law, of liberty and happiness and justice for all. And those things are objectively not done systematically. The reason we have injustice now is the accumulation, not just of days and weeks of injustice, uh, but decades and centuries. And so him kneeling is saying, I love America so much like James Baldwin, uh, that I want her to aspire uh, to those ideals and tell people who look like me, um, have what everyone says they say we want. And that is actively, proactively. Again, like I don't believe in this kind of passive, invisible hand, libertarian evolution that says like, we're, you know, and progressive and conservative folks both subscribe to this. Um, but that says, well, we'll get there someday. Nothing ever happened by not challenging power constructs. And so that's where my article comes from, which is that the country has dominant spiritualities baked into its DNA. And this is not in dispute. White supremacy, patriarchy, militarism, and consumer capitalism. Um, and I'll back that up all day. Um, and so if those are our dominant spiritualities, those of us who are white, male, coming with uh, baked in wealth and support um, and given things like inherited things, we that's the power analysis. We have, un we have been given those things, not unfairly, but at the, exp well, yes, unfairly, because it's been done at the expense of everyone who doesn't identify uh, as we do. Um, and so I'm the last person, and I say this all the time, we, um, no one can be responsible or care about all of the things all of the time because we'll fall out, burn out, die, collapse. Um, but we have to recognize that systemic and his histories and influences and privileges are also embodied in us. And so it's not caring about these things too much to... Um, say that the NFL is problematic, for example, and here are the ways I think we should opt out um, because these are death-dealing spiritualities and we claim a living God who not only condemns death-dealing spiritualities, but we, we profess that that God rose above them and said, follow me and feed my sheep otherwise and said these scriptures of liberation for the oppressed um, of sight to the blind, of freedom for all, are fulfilled in me. And so if we claim that person is the ultimate person worth following, and we know that white supremacy, patriarchy, 
militarism and consumer capitalism bring death, then there's no corollary between um, the person who's saying it's time for these death theory and spiritualities, um, that person being canceled uh, for speaking up against death dealing spiritualities uh, that are killing black men and criticizing that entity and even boycotting it um, and asking that others do too. Um, because the only other people who don't have issues with that are ultimately going to be white racists. <laughs> um, and so, um, yeah, uh, that's just a long winded way of agreeing with what you were saying, but like my reasons for it and where I come from are that we, we have to be educated on this. Like we're a mean, as I said, though, where I have grace and space is that we're a meaning making species. Uh, we, we are created to belong to one another. So I don't care one way or the other about NFL abolition that we've seen the way boxing has gone over the past several decades uh, for similar reasons and issues related to violence and, and its impact on health. Um, but the facts are in that the NFL, for example, is a, is a, is an, like basically an evil shofar of white supremacy, patriarchy, militarism, and consumer capitalism in our society, our society that weaves that those toxic genomes into all of us. And so to care about the NFL is to care about ourselves and to care about the lives around us. And so if people of color or queer folks or women are saying, this kind of stuff, it dehumanizes us or leads to dehumanization or violence against us. So if the NFL doesn't, as this multi-billion dollar franchise, again, we can't silo the, the commerce of it from its cultural impact. Says is is not taking violence against women seriously. That is spiritual death that doesn't take violence against women seriously in all of our lives. And so, to we are everyone is prophetic who cares about these things and meets other people who engage the NFL um, uh, daily and enjoys it. No one's asking to take that away from them. I preached on the American flag in the sanctuary last month, two months ago. I said, I'm not taking away military associations from you. I am interrogating, though, what it's doing in a sanctuary uh, above the lynching tree of the cross. So um, that's a piece of what I have to say about that. Um, there is one other bit to it, namely, I always struggle, especially after 2017 in Charlottesville, with... Um, uh, postures that that put propheticness as like or caring about uh or you know speaking truth to power as kind of a separate gifting and everything because for me my own seminary degrees in pastoral care and counseling and for me anytime i've been considered quote-unquote prophetic it actually started from relationship because i found myself in a relationship with people who are not rich, powerful white men, but those who are most dehumanized by our country's um, death-dealing spiritualities. And so I love America. America gives me a lot. Um, but if we shift our perspective to those who God cares most about, which is always the marginalized and oppressed until they aren't, uh, then we realize um, the pastoral is prophetic, especially if you're um, 
a white man coming alongside them. And so that was a bit of what I think you were referring to after this insane monologue. Um, but I also, I do want to say when I kind of got uh, much more honest about that stuff in our uh, group me, and I was, I was grateful for the grace and space and, and also private messages I received. And I'm sorry, I haven't followed up on some of those. Um, it was also during a raw time where I was feeling alone and not wedded in. And so I think, I hope people also take it as a compliment that this wonderful outlet we call fantasy football at a time where I was feeling lonely and probably have very different, not probably, I know I have very different theological and worldview and ethical worldview and how we act out this faith we claim than a lot of league members that the league was still safe space because fantasy football is really fun and an outlet and we can't negate the spirit at the expense of the body. And so that's how I'll end that monologue with a thank you. Like that's how I also see a lot. Okay. I'm done. Wow. I, I was just listening to that. Um, yeah. You were supposed to play. Back I know. And I was getting close. I was going to jump in, but I, I, I decided just to listen and when I'm giving wedding speeches, I kind of have this this rule that I abide by in that for every joke and good laugh I get, I can say one nice, meaningful thing about the person or couple that I'm talking about. And I'm going to do something similar here. I'm going to start off with a compliment. <laughs> well, you know I can take uh, – it takes a lot. And I'm, I'm going to say something <laughs> nice and sincere – in that I would say over the past year and a half, two years that I've known you, that I have, I've really appreciated the way that you put your faith into action. And you alluded to different theological beliefs than some people in the league. And it's, it's crazy to think that any 12 people or 13 people, I'll include Drew in this, see the world, see Will you though? for now, <laughs> it's, it would be crazy to think that 13 people see the world the same way. Um, but I just, I've been so inspired by the way that you put your faith into action. I've been convicted by the way that you put your faith into action. And I'm just really glad to call you a friend. So thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for spurring me and the other people in this league to be a better person to to think about their faith and the ways that they're interacting in the world more seriously. And I, I do really appreciate that and give you a lot of credit for that. And that ties in perfectly with my point about the wedding speech and me saying a nice thing is that I'm going to transition pretty abruptly here to, to, to fantasy <laughs> football welcome. where where I have, yeah, shoot, we where I have gone on the record it. of saying that you are my nemesis. There's nobody in this league that I wish fantasy harm to more than you. It was my profound pleasure to beat you week one when you put up the worst score in the league. And that brought me immense joy as my only victory this season. And if I could, if I could only have one victory this season... It would indeed be over you. You're a Giants fan, which absolutely makes me sick. I hate that with every fiber uh, yeah. of my being. And well, likewise, Cowboys and fan. yeah, it just brings me so much joy to hate you as a fantasy opponent. And it's, <laughs> it's twisted, and I know that, but I can't help it. So, 
there it is. And as we transition to this fantasy side of the podcast, um, I have this new question that I, I'm really interested in walking through with people, and that's just the emotional roller coaster of fantasy football. Of we use oh, this as an escape, but then as you talked about with us being meaning making creatures, we find ourselves physically, viscerally affected by this game. So I'm interested in how are you feeling after the Thursday night game? And then can you tell me how you felt about your matchup after the morning games on Sunday and then the late afternoon games, the Sunday night game? And here as we approach Monday night, what are are your your thoughts on your matchup? This is a great question. There's several things I want to respond to there. Number one, um, even for those who don't engage in uh, unofficial league communications, it's clear that we're a league that's highly engaged. If you look at the waiver wire and, you know, trade action and this and that. Um, So this is an emotional roller coaster. Like we're really connected to it. And it raises really interesting chicken and egg questions because we always talk up like, well, we always come back to it for the camaraderie. And because we need those things in our life and connection and going out, that's what I miss most about Charlottesville. It's like, who's up for going out to beer run or Cardinal Hall or whatever. Um, But at the same time, the chicken or egg has become fantasy football also can put a lot of stress in my life. I asked uh, your co-host recently, like, how does it feel being in first, you know, after I just wanted to change the subject from like the 10 trades I just rejected. And... um, (laughs) And he was like, uh, stresses me out and everything stresses me out. So I think there's a lot of potency to your question with this emotional roller coaster. We say we love it and it gives us a lot to do and it's a welcome distraction. But at the same time, we all want to win and some of us don't. And there's a lot of heartbreak. I, I'll accept the mantle of nemesis, um, certainly for the Giants Cowboys reasons. I think you're sitting. I think you're not being fully integrated by avoiding the fact that um it probably has to do with that trade last year um, as well as the fact that, you know, I would have beaten you in week one if I had played the Cowboys quarterback. And it's looking like if I had played Dak attack, maybe this is like a subliminal Cowboys hatred that's biting me in the ass. So I wanted to respond to all those things. I just want to say that I would be looking at tomorrow, Tuesday, we're recording this as Monday with a much better chance of being four and one right now, if I had started Dak Prescott. So I want to know if there's anything kind of psychologically unnerving to you that makes me your nemesis because of that before I go through my emotional roller coaster. I mean, I I think a lot of it does go back to the infamous trade, the worst trade in the history of dad bods, an embarrassing trade. I think on your behalf, probably the only Probably the only trade that I will ever veto in my entire fantasy football career. I am on the record as being a never veto, except in the the case of collusion. And And we've never and we collusion. We we've talked about. I would just throw in that draft day trades, draft day one for one trades. When all that has happened yeah. is the draft is a form of collusion just because you're manipulating market values. You're buying for one price and you're selling for a drastically different price and not giving everyone else in the that. league a fair chance. So that is my that is my yeah. after the fact rationalization of why I acted the way I did in the moment. 
if I'm being honest, it was because Matt texted me and told me to veto the trade, and I did, and then afterwards had to think about it. And that is that is the after the fact rationalization that I'm giving now to justify my actions. Um, and then going on the pod and really reserving my harshest statements until we had the chance to talk to you face to face so that when I did bring all you did, my you had a lot of printouts, you came prepared, you did your homework. Um, and I rambled for about 45 minutes on that pod before I got to my, my summation of it, which was really just one sentence of, you know, collusion, criminal negligence or gross incompetence. But I said yeah. that to your face, and I, I think from that point in time, I've just had to double down and triple down on it of like, man, I have this spoken antagonistic relationship with Seth. I just need to embrace him as a nemesis. So I, I think that is is really the the impetus behind it. Introvert, extrovert. Yeah, no, we got it going and on. And from there... And- I'm this just collecting reasons of, yeah. oh yeah, this is the nemesis in the league. This is the the rivalry that that needs to develop. All right, well, screw you then. Um, Love you, and, uh, you know, Dan, Danny Dimes turned into Daniel Jones uh, this past. Well, that's the thing. You need Ira Glass is too benign, but like you and I are more like. Uh, two people. I mean, I hate this show, but we're like, we could be like Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp. Um, not to be confused with Ira Glass and Sterling Sharp. So for everyone who tuned out or is threatening to, uh, because of that digression back to week three of last year, and I will be fair, the idea of trading, you know, after, especially after all that ethics talk, I'm okay. We're going to stop. Keep listening. We're talking about fantasy football right now. Um, emotionally. So this requires some context. Again, the world didn't start yesterday. I was feeling pretty good about my draft. And I don't just say that. Like, I was like, I wanted, I think I want to, I really want, I thought I would get Chris Carson in the second round with Leonard Fournette, but after OBJ and Juju Smith-Schuster, and then I think my, and I, I picked the 11th pick on purpose, which I was told was like the third or fourth best pick, best pick. I think I went Baker, OJ Howard, who I think you have now. Baker's on the line. So the context for how I'm feeling about this past weekend can't be divorced from the fact that I'm pretty terrified about my season now, which is kind of liberating, but also really volatile and vulnerable um, because I was like, boom, my starting, my only issue is my flex. Like, who am I going to put in there? And I want to be... So right now I've traded away Juju Smith-Schuster, my second pick. I didn't get Chris Carson, but I got Sony Michelle, who I've almost benched and finally had a bounce back game. And Baker Mayfield, I dropped and OJ Howard, I traded and I'm not any better off at tight end. It was just like, you know, I I think we had a good trade, but it certainly wasn't about the tight ends. I was just like, oh, get this like bad karma off my team. Um, and since then, I've had points left on the bench. I picked up Dak Prescott for Kirk Cousins. But that hasn't helped me because, as I said, like even though I did terrible the first week, if I had started Dak's 40-plus points, I would have squeaked one out. This week, I would be 15 points higher than if I hadn't impulsively put Daniel Jones 
in while I was putting my stolen clergy collar on on Sunday at 9.45, Tucson time. Um, so emotionally, it, I mean, this is where the game is like gambling. It's high highs and low lows. There's no real in-between because as soon as you get to the in-between, you're like, when's the next game on? And I, on, I, I've been feeling like an underdog. And so Thursday I was playing against Tyler Lockett who started out strong and ended up below his projection. So I'm like, all right, well, that's all I need technically. Um, I was wrestling with my flex, but ended up feeling good about Sony Michelle. But then of course, what did I do? And this is where the, you know, as humans, as meaning making creatures who like to integrate their world and their worldview, when things rupture us, when things traumatize us, like a poor start to the season or like Dak Prescott doing awful in week four, we get irrational, we fight, flight, or freeze. And so I kind of have been freezing with my um, a lineup over the past couple weeks because I was like, hold it out. These articles are saying you're doing all right. But I'm starting to get into fight or flight mode. And then boom, I don't know why I changed to Danny Jones. And it was looking like he was doing great. Dak was doing terrible. And they end up with a 15-point difference. So emotionally... I almost don't care about the opponent I'm playing. I'm much more emotionally invested in like how I'm overcompensating and overthinking all of my starts every time. Because at the end of the day, and Sean Greer would be the first person to attest to this, you can't do anything about your opponent's point total. <laughs> so right now, I'm like almost, I don't know, Jesus, uh, 50 points behind. And I've I'm going into, in 20 minutes... Monday night football is going to start and I've got OBJ who has not done well, but is certainly capable of a 40 point game and the San Francisco Niners defense, which is playing what could be a blow up offense in the Browns, but also playing a really mistake prone one. And so my confirmation bias, as well as the reason I do this is telling me that like, all right, what do I need? Okay. It is pretty unrealistic. It's like three or four touchdowns from OBJ and several sacks from the 49ers. But I've won games like that before, and that's why I stay in it. Um, so maybe that's a great, you know, we're getting near the hour mark. Um, but emotionally, that's been my roller coaster. But at the end of the day, I, I have a lot of fun trolling. Any shit talking I do, and whether I'm serious or unserious stuff, comes from a safe place. And so I, I hope we can continue to grow forward into a league that um, can be honest because those of us who are white, straight white men, especially um, created in a world designed to privilege us at the expense of others. Like we have the most to do. And so I think it is God's sense of humor as well, that we're finding a way to doing that in spite of maybe some of our differences uh, but to do it honestly and forthrightly um, around uh, the NFL. I'm not trying to close it off. That belongs to you. We still have the poem, and I have some more shit to talk about, Matt. Let's let's go right to the shit talking about Matt. Yeah, that, that sounds like the first thing to get out of the way. So, Jamie, we've talked now on two episodes about this ethics poll, and – we know, but that was put out by Matty Ice. And since he put it out, he has picked up Antonio Brown twice. Antonio Brown, who's not even on a team right now. And as of this writing, as of this recording, just scooped up Kareem Hunt. 
both who have been credibly accused of violence, I mean, not even credibly accused, Kareem Hunt's on video, of violence against women. Right. And Antonio Brown's thing, like just being like a very unique personality with a lot of other stuff going on. Um, whereas we see, you know, Golden Tate accidentally took some estrogen or whatever the hell and self-reported it and missed four games, you know, so we're not going to get in all the ethics thing again. But what's really funny is what do we make of your co-host? Was he looking for validation? Was he like wrestling with my article, if I can be so bold and pompous? And then like his desire to pick up these players? (laughs) Because Antonio Brown, while I think he has done those things, I believe the women, he had some great points to make about Robert Kraft and Big Ben and all this. So anyway, I'm monologuing my own question. What do you think about... um, this shit talk is it going to get Matt back? And do you think Matt was just looking for justification? I have never in my life tried to take a stab at Matt McNichols motivations or what precedes his actions. He remains a mystery as much to me now as he did on day one, even after living with him for several years. And I, I cannot, I cannot begin to speculate on the pathology of that man. He is a unique, wonderful individual that I'm also, that I'm also proud to call my friend. But yeah, I, I do not know what he was looking for there. And I appreciate him leaving the silence for us to speculate. And no, it's a new level of maturity and growth and wonder. And as people know, and as I'm sure Mr. Greer could attest, like personality test wise, I'm actually pretty allergic to shit talking anyone. I only shit talk those who like, because I'm a very sensitive person myself. I'm a two on the Enneagram. I'm a people pleaser um, and grew up very sensitive. Like it feels very good and safe to, to, to mess with people. So mainly that was pod fodder. Uh, but it does raise questions about your ethical, uh, moral um, center. I'm in the exact Sorry. same position. When I played okay. lacrosse in college, I would only trash talk my own teammates, specifically other people on my defensive unit in practice. And my man, Keebs, took the, the worst of it. He would come into practice, and we're both playing defense, going against a, a pretty good offensive unit. And I would just look over at him and be like, Keebs, your socks are looking real stupid today. Just hit him with that type of trash talk. But it was it was only my own teammates and like within the team body, like the people on the defensive unit with me that that I, I would speak that trash to. And it, it really does come from a, a place of love and respect of if I'm not talking trash to you, like you know. We're dogs, and, and you know how dogs who like each other kind of do exactly. that play wrestling? That's what That's it is. Exactly, yeah. It's, All right. It's the there ultimate sign of well, love. I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure uh, the pod's going to definitely continue after all this deeply, unconditionally living, loving shit-talking. We'll see. I'm, <laughs> I'm always shocked when there's an episode of like, wow, we did another one. This is amazing. I would listen to Caleb's corner every week as well. You, I mean, you're amazing at that stuff as well. Like the two of you unpacking this stuff, like so many members in this league think about 
fantasy football in a way I don't even know how to. And I always learn so much. And it's a lot of fun because I feel like we learn about ourselves. That's what's so fascinating about data. It's like this ostensibly objective thing. It is objective that unpacks our subjectivity as a species. So where was I going with that? I mean, Goodness. Just a nerd out for um, a moment. This, and I'm this, just giving out this love. Is, <laughs> this is something that has come to me later in life. Definitely not through my my childhood and high school or even that stage. But I've always had a fondness for words and the way that they sound, the way that we create meaning out of them, the way that they could make me feel emotionally has always been something that I've I found magic in and thought was was just incredibly fascinating and wonderful. And since, since the later stages of college and into adulthood, it has really been starting to see numbers being able to do that as well. And that is something that never had that magic for me, never had that ability to, to create meaning or, or a sense of wonder. And I, I think Caleb does that incredibly on these Caleb Caleb's corners to not only pull out these insights, but then, you know, create a narrative around it, unpack it and tell us what it means and, and show the way that that enriches our league culture, but also our interpersonal relationships. And that, that has been an exciting journey for me over these past couple of years to, to find that in numbers as well as words and, increasingly searching for those places that those those intersect so i completely agree with you i could yeah. listen to a caleb's corner every week he has said that he will get back to us after a couple of weeks of very important bonding with his with his daughter his newly born daughter That's important. you can't be in the dad bod league unless you're being a dad right in some way that, or another that feels like a <laughs> That feels like a direct attack from my nemesis, and I don't appreciate it. It was kidding. I don't believe that at all. I actually don't even. You can go to hell. All right. Speaking. (laughs) You've been falling a while. Here's that poem. I, I mean, honestly, I hope this came through in the episode. I'm just grateful for the chance to connect. This episode, not to get too meta or snaky in its own tale about it, was League Life. Uh, thank you to those who listen, but also a justification for the league. Um, if I can, you know, toot your horn, Mr. Host. Um, here is, and this may need to make it a Patreon episode too. Um, I don't know if I should name the poet because technically if it goes out publicly. I'm publishing his stuff. You know, Does, what this feels like free publicity, but. I'm not a lawyer. We, we can check in with all Cody. Right, so for all the publishers out there, for all the publishers out there who are listening to the Dad Bod Pod, you, the, my good friend Stephen Hitchcock has an incredible portfolio that is um, going to sell you some copy. We are blessed that he put ink to paper. Uh, so, as someone like you, Mister Schleicher, who lives for words and their meaning and how they interplay with each other, I'm going to read. Moby Dick was a good man by Stephen Hitchcock. Moby Dick was a good man, read the first sentence of my father's seventh grade book report. Lying side by side on the couch, we'd fall asleep together watching old war flicks, maybe watching Gregory Peck, 
who was a good man, and to kill a mockingbird, play Ahab. At 15, my father would find his father in bed with a gun gone off in his mouth. I try to imagine the bedroom scene, the pistol's report, silence spreading, the sharp smell, tang of gun smoke, the living death of his father before him, respected surgeon and scratch golfer turned inside out, inoperable. Dr. Hitchcock, Dr. Viscera, Dr. Carnage, you fucker. What did your death do to my father that I will never know? What did war do to you? What it does. Occupies the beachhead of the heart and never stops fighting. And I cannot stay in the room with him, my 15-year-old father, who couldn't help but think at that moment of the promised new Jaguar, the white convertible for his 16th birthday he'd never drive. So instead I watch his silence always have an aura, the thick Georgia air of my birth and childhood and early adulthood thick with it. Mr. Soft-spoken, how did you become so kind? Why did you? What I want to say is how much I love him, Herman Melville, for writing, yes, the world's a ship on its passage out and not a voyage complete, and the pulpit is its prow. The pulpit as the moral prow of the world, amazing. It's not, though. I know that. But what if it was? I would preach and preach and preach and preach like they do on the radio. I would fill the airwaves. What I want to say is how terrifying the world is. So I'll say it now. The world, friends, beloved, sister, brother, father, grandfather, mother, grandmother, my child, is terrifying. What can happen or not happen to you, your ship? Do I miss the one I cannot know? I cannot know. So I keep talking to myself about it, retelling the story about that man, Moby Dick, my father, who is good. Words carved into the skin of a beached, bleached whale. Words that read, call me Ishmael. Well, no, they just read, call me, as in, if you're looking for a good time, as in, when you're ready to talk, as in, when you get where you're going, as in, how much longer must I wait before you, as in, please just, as in, never, ever. He calls me darling, my father. I love him because of it, in spite of it. And you know what they say about fathers and darlings. I don't know what they say. Maybe Moby Dick was a good man, at least in my father's mind. Maybe he wanted Moby Dick to be a good man. I'd like to meet that Moby Dick, the white whale's foil, the white whale's white whale. Probably a pretty lovely fellow, tender and available, a lot like my father. What I want to say is how much I love him for not reading the book for telling me what he didn't do. Did they really read Moby Dick in seventh grade? Does he even believe the story he told me? It's mine now, mine to misremember, embellish, withhold. What I want to say is how much I love that man, Moby Dick, for his goodness and his grace. And what the hell, Ahab too, for his magnificent, is there any other way to say it? Wrath. Despite my easygoing disposition, I appreciate what I cannot access. Moby Dick, our American monster, first and best nuclear sub, pulsing whale roads, singing whale songs, hunter and hunted both, God's own echo released. Echo, Zulu.
Foxtrot Tango. Damn it, Seth. You always do this to me. Which is Ugh. turn from nemesis to friend. You try. You try. <laughs> and it, that I tried re- hard, but the Giants and that'll that'll always be there. But that really reminds me of going to my grandparents' house when I was little and finding mm. finding a copy oh, of Huck Finn in their attic and reading that book when I was in elementary school and having this material just being so far over my head and so far beyond comprehension of what's, what's written on the page and listening to your friend write those words, thinking about Matt's poll of if him and his father told each other that they, they loved each other. Was that spoken or is that apparent love mm-hmm. that that is clearly there that was always there that's expressed in this poem something that wasn't quite verbalized in that way and right. thinking about this life that we're living that is still so hard that is still so complex and seems very far beyond my computational power and the beautiful, right. beautiful way that your your friend wrote that down. Exactly. It captures so much of the polls. I think a lot of what we've been talking about, even in this episode, it, it captures all the things. It's the very personal to the, how do we even get here to like, what does it all mean? And um, yeah, we, we are not divorced from our own realities. I just looked, and while I was reading that really powerful poem, poem that almost has me in tears, I'm going to ruin the mood by saying Matt McNichol texted me back about a trade he's glad I rejected, um, where I thought he was trying to give me Robbie Anderson and Josh Jacobs, Robbie Anderson, who he's dropped. And I texted him while we were talking at some point. I said, we're shit talking you so much on this next pod for not being on the pod. Ha 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 ha. Which as loyal listeners who are still with us will know was my way of trying to make him come on next week. He said, I'm sad to miss. Maybe you should text me that you're trying to schedule and pick a time I can actually make it. All caps. How about that? And I laughed. And I think... I'm not the host, but can you think of a better way to toss it to Matt next week? <laughs> and you know what? Monday Night Football is about to start. And I'm going to beat Steven. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. Seth, thanks so much for coming on. It's always great to talk to you, my man. And every, everyone yeah, yeah, else can go following well. Yeah. That's right. Matt, I would have told you I love you if you had been on the pod. I uh, love you guys. Uh, thanks for keeping it going. Music out. Edit Go this fall out. in a well. <laughs> <laughs>